finding out that I had endometriosis was a very, very long journey. You can have endometriosis in your eyes, you can have it in your digestive system. I have it in my uterus, which can affect fertility. And that's what happened with me. Hey guys, welcome back to an episode of Period Sis. I'm your host, Mandy V, and I hope that you guys liked our compilation episode last week, but this week we are getting right back into it. You know how we do, brought to you by Official Box Owner. I am really excited for today's conversation because yes, 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 we're talking about it again. We're talking about the period, but we're talking a little bit deeper into it because y'all know, it's not always just normal. But guys, we're getting into yet another tale of womanhood for women by women. Today, I am joined by Samantha Denae, aka the Indo Educator. Hey, Samantha, what's going on? Hey, Mandy, how you doing today, girl? Y'all don't even know how long it took us to really get our schedules aligned to have this conversation. Spirit <laughs> said the message is here. Yes, it's finally yes. here to be delivered, to touch somebody, <laughs> to educate somebody. So today, we're going to talk about it. I love it. And if y'all don't know what we're talking about, again, I introduced Miss Samantha as the Indo educator. So yes, we are talking about endometriosis today. And you know what? Let's just start all the way back to the very beginning of your journey, Samantha, with your period. Let's go back to when did you start either communicating or or going to the doctor regarding concern around your menstrual cycle? Well, I started my period when I was 12. My first period was absolutely horrible. And I was so confused because all of my friends who had their periods were so happy. They were so happy they got their period. I was waiting and wishing to get my period. And when I finally got it, I was like, what is this? <laughs> oh, no. So much pain. I had to miss school, bleeding heavily, and it never stopped. It. I thought maybe, okay, maybe that's just the first period since I'm just now starting to have one. Maybe that's how it goes for your first one. And it'll get, you know, a little better, you know, as the time progresses. But no, it was debilitating every single month. My period, I would have to miss school. And if I didn't miss school, I was in class sick. And everybody would know when I was on my period. What what were like your, your symptoms early on? Like what, what made you sick or what was, where were you in pain? Um, I had a lot of pelvic pain, a lot of blood clots. And they were thick and, and heavy, like quarter-sized blood clots. Okay. And they okay. were a lot not just maybe one or two, just every day for like the first three to four days of my period, I was passing thick quarter-sized blood clots. I would throw up every day for like the first three days of my period. And you have a full seven-day cycle? Yeah. Okay. Couldn't eat or drink anything for like the first five days. Having to sleep on all fours or sleep on the couch, sitting up, sleep in the bed, sitting up. I can't lay down because the cramping pain is just way too debilitating. Did you bring this information to your mom? And when you did, what was the response? I did. And, you know, she saw me on my period in, in times where she was able to take off from work so she could be home and take care of me while I was on my period. But she, wait, 
not only would you miss school, your mom knew it was so bad that she would take off work to be home with you? Yeah, sometimes she would. Wow. If she could. And if she couldn't, my dad would come over to, you know, see if I needed some food or if I needed some ibuprofen or some Advil or something. He'll drop it off for me. So, yeah, they they would try. They knew my period was bad, but my mom said she had a bad period. And so it was just kind of like, okay, well, she I- thought it was genetics passed down. So, so you guys pretty much self-medicated with just simple pain relievers. Uh, Midol, I know, is something that's used. Ibuprofen. And that's it. So at what at, at what point at what point in your childhood or if any did she ever take you to the doctor then knowing that she also had a painful period? No, I didn't start going to the doctor until I was about 16 or 17 and I tried to get on birth control and that was when I learned from friends that you know birth control can help regulate your period because they knew my period was bad. And so I convinced my mom, of course, she didn't want me to get on birth control because, you know, birth control, teenager, you know how that goes. Right. She wasn't really for it, but she did know that my period was bad. So she said, okay, well, maybe we could try and see. So I tried the pill for about maybe six months. It did not work. My periods were getting, it seemed like they were getting heavier. The clotting was getting more. It was, the cramping was getting more intense. So I just got off birth control and I said, well, this isn't working. So, no. What other methods? Uh, Again, I know that in our teenage years, we can only really go off of kind of what our friends are experiencing. And and we all don't know shit in our teens. We're all trying to figure it out. Did anyone, did anyone recommend any other solutions for period pains or cramping outside of the birth control pill at that time? No, it was just, pain pills and I you know I was taking at the time in high school maybe like Advil it wasn't really helping a lot it'll help for the headaches but not for the cramping but outside of that and so oh god so you've been experiencing this on a monthly basis since you were 12 years old um let's get into you as an early adult uh maybe when you just realized and maybe not even realize, did it come from reading? Did it come from a new friend? What made you seek medical attention again in your in, in your early 20s? Well, once I got to college, you know, being responsible, making sure I go get my annuals every year. When I would go, you know, get my annuals, I would tell my doctor my period is really bad. And I don't know if it's supposed to be this bad because everyone else that I know they don't have, you know, bad periods the way that I do. They don't throw up. Their periods don't last as long. If they cramp, they do for the first day. But, you know, no more than that. They definitely don't bleed as heavily as I do. And all the doctors, you know, were saying, well, your period will get easier as you get older and, you know, when you get pregnant. I'm like a freshman in college. I'm not thinking about babies. Right. It seems like I'm, as I'm getting older, my period is getting worse because by this time, I tried the shot my freshman year of college. And I didn't have a period for a year, which scared my mom, so she made me get off of it. So, And I, too, uh, got on the depot maybe when I was 18 or 19. And I had so many other side effects 
uh, mind you, I only had the shot twice. And you know, you get it every three months. And I too just, I experienced so many other symptoms. I was like, oh no, I'm not putting this in my body anymore. Did you, did you gather any other symptoms uh, from the depot? And so did, and, and also did you choose to really get off of it because your mom didn't want you to take it anymore? Yeah, I, I didn't, coincidentally, I didn't experience any in this, in this time of doing the depot. Um, but in this time, no, I didn't experience any symptoms outside of just not having a period. I didn't gain weight. And I think it was because I was stressed because school and I was going through a breakup at the time. So with my high school sweetheart, so I was really stressed. So I didn't gain weight. I, it was just, I didn't have a period and I was okay with not having I a period. I was about to ask you, how does, if your mom knew the pain that you were in from your period, what was her reasoning behind telling you to get off the shot? I had the paperwork. Okay. And okay. she read it and she read the side effects and she was like, is this what you're taking? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, she was like, you don't have a period. And I was like, no, she's like, that's not normal. No, you, you, you're not taking this anymore. So I did, I did, I didn't go back and, and get my next round after the three months was. Which is crazy. So you had the same experience, though, as me. I had only gotten two doses and didn't have a period for a year. Uh, you only had one dose and also didn't have a period for a year. But I will say once that one year was up, I bled for like two weeks straight every other two weeks. Like it was at least for three months. Yeah. And again, it's just so crazy how all of our bodies, uh, you know, are affected differently by things. So. You got off of the depot and let's get, let's get back into you being in, in college. You were getting your yearly and they were just telling you, you know, well, maybe this is, you know, some people have heavy periods. Some people don't. At, at what point did anyone go deeper into looking to see if anything really was wrong? Not up until I was about 24. By this time I had been to the emergency room during my period, um, had been told while I was at the emergency room that I was probably pregnant after me telling them that this happens every single month because at this point in time, my period was the same. Like every month, my period is going to do the same thing. I'm going to cramp very, very intensely for the first five days. My period lasts seven days. I want to bleed heavy. I can't eat or drink anything for the first five days. I have to sleep on the couch sitting up. But on my third day, it's my absolute worst day. I, for like 12 hours, I'm going to cramp just straight 12 hours. I can't move unless I'm going back and forth from the bathroom to the couch. That's about it. So the doctors assumed that you were pregnant. Was this before or after they gave you an ultrasound? They didn't give me an ultrasound. They just had me take a pregnancy test. What? (laughs) So this particular day, I could not walk. I, I tried going to the bathroom. And it was on my third day. I tried going to the bathroom and I fell to the floor. So that's when I was like, okay, something is really, really wrong. And so I went to the emergency room. The registrar nurse saw me stumbling in the in the ER and she knew something was wrong. And so she sent me straight back, not no paperwork, no nothing, just sent me straight back there. I had a male nurse, black male nurse. Okay. I told him, you know, I'm on my period. This happens every month. The only difference is I cannot walk this month. Like, I've never been able to not walk. And he said, "Mm, I think you're pregnant. And he made me take a pregnancy test. And when the test came back negative, 
He said, well, okay, the test is negative. I said, yeah, I told you this happens every month <laughs> when I'm on my period. And he gave me a prescription for 800 ibuprofen. And I had to pay $100 for copay and send me right on my way. And, and that was it. It wasn't up until I was 24 when I almost overdosed on codeine during my period where somebody said to me, I think you may have endometriosis. Wait, <laughs> explain that the pain was. So you went from being prescribed 800 milligram ibuprofen. At what point did they up you to codeine because of your pain? I went to a different doctor. Okay. I'm in college, not where where I'm from. I'm from Atlanta. Okay. College in Valdosta. So Ooh, the country. Exactly. <laughs> so so I'm going from I'm trying to find the right doctor. So this clinic that I found which thank God thank God somebody referred them to me because they changed my life. When I told them about my period pain, I was prescribed codeine. I had already tried, you know, the ibuprofen. Right. I was right. taking like sixteen hundred milligrams like a day. And ibuprofen during my period. I had tried naproxen, hydrocodone, promethazine. I had tried a lot of things. They really were just loading you up with painkillers? And none of them were working for me. Wow. I tried codeine and I wasn't educated on how heavy narcotics like that work. And so because I'm so used to taking so many milligrams because of my period pain, I took six codeine pills because they were six milligrams. Not realizing, okay, this is coding. You shouldn't do that. Right. I almost overdosed. And when I went back to the doctor's office that next day after being prescribed and taking those coding pills, I saw a different doctor because the doctor who had prescribed those pills were out that day. And he listened to me. I told him, you know, my period is debilitating. I can't walk. I can't do anything. I have to miss class. I have to miss work. Like I can't do anything. I have to really plan my whole life around my period. And he asked me, Three questions. He said, is your period really debilitating? Do you have trouble using the bathroom? And do you have painful sex? And I answered yes to all three. And he gave me a pamphlet. And he said, I think you have endometriosis, but you have to have surgery in order to find out. But read this pamphlet. It's going to at least give you a basic knowledge about what it is and how the surgery works. And then kind of what happens after that, like the symptoms, how it affects you, how it affects your fertility, all of it. Can we get into that? So this is my first time hearing this, I believe. So you received a pamphlet to, to, to educate you on what endometriosis is. Can you go ahead and give us a baseline definition of endometriosis? And then I would love to also talk about what the surgery entailed. So endometriosis basically is when a woman has her period, the lining of the uterus yes, is supposed yes. to shed. So when you have endometriosis, the endometrium-like tissue, which is basically like the lining, is going to shed, but some of it is going to shed. The, the remaining lining that stays in the body is going to turn into tissue. And then that tissue can grow and attach to different organs in the body. Like it doesn't necessarily stay in the reproductive system. So it can grow on your colon, your bladder, oh, your brain, your lungs, your kidneys. It can grow anywhere. So it's, I like to call it like a cancer because of how fast it spreads and grows. But it's the precursor to ovarian cancer if it's not caught early. Okay, so what was the surgery? It, it, how was that explained? What would they do? Is And is it similar to a biopsy? 
Like if it, the way that you compare it to cancer, I know that's kind of the same thing. The surgery is a laparoscopic procedure. Okay. What they do is they take a, a scope and they insert it in the belly button and then they will go in and they will burn off or excise the, the tissue that they see. So that is like a band-aid surgery and you have to have that surgery ever so often after this because wow. the tissue is going to grow back. There's no wow. cure. So the tissue is always going to grow. So you'll have surgery. You'll be okay for a while. Then it'll start to grow back and then you have to have surgery again. But they have excision surgery, and that surgery entails like a robot that will go deep under the organs where the endometriosis is, and it'll get all of that out, and then that gives you a better quality of life. So I know people who have excision surgery, you know, for 10 years, they're they're okay. They don't have to worry about, you know, having flare-ups or having really bad period pain. Like, they have a better quality of life, but excision surgery is very, very expensive, and you have to have, it's kind of like private insurance to have. I was going to ask, with, with this being um, a medical issue and, you know, do does something like a Medicaid or a Blue Shield Blue Cross or something on the lower end, do they cover this type of surgery or is it still fairly expensive out of pocket? Um, for a laparoscopic, yeah. Most insurances will cover it, um, but you still have to pay out of pocket. Like... You know, you have to pay the copay. That's right. You know, before well, the deductible, before you know, insurance is gonna take care of it. Um, like for me, when I had my laparoscopic procedures, my first one, I was really blessed because I had just gotten my first big girl job, and so I didn't have to pay for my surgery. But my other two surgeries, I did have to pay for, and that was about like maybe four thousand dollars out of pocket. Each one. Yeah. So it's not, but excision surgery is whew, like 10000 at least, like at least for with my insurance, like out of pocket, that's what I would have had to pay. So we had to go with the lap. But you mentioned biopsy, a cervical biopsy, not the same. They take like these scissors and will scrape the tissue out of your cervix and you're awake. You're awake? Yeah. And they will take samples of tissue with these scissors and it's very very painful my doctor told me when I got one done that it was the closest thing to childbirth that I would get wait so you and you did so you did receive a a cervical biopsy I did oh wow it was there an option to not be awake I know normally anesthesia is also it adds a cost um when you're going under any sort of an um surgery they have the local anesthetics and then they have the one that'll really knock you out um, but that does normally come with an additional cost. Was that even given as an option for you? Not when I had my biopsy, and that was because I was getting it done after I got an annual done. Because at the time, I was thinking about getting an ablation, and in order to have an ablation, you have to have a negative biopsy. And, and an ablation is is like a hysterectomy, but you keep your you keep your uterus, and so they'll go and they'll burn. It's like they'll burn it, mm. quote unquote, or they'll burn the lining. So like your tube's tied. Is that what it is? No? They'll burn your, your lining, but they won't remove your uterus. You know, when you have a hysterectomy, they'll remove the uterus. Right. Ablation, they'll leave it, but they'll they'll burn the lining. So it's like you won't have a period anymore as you would with the hysterectomy. But eventually, as I was told by my doctor, 
the bleeding will come back. So you could be fine for about five years. So, so with these surgeries, with the, 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 the period, uh, the, the painful periods, is endometriosis something that directly affects fertility? Or is that something that you could still potentially go through? It just wouldn't, it, it would be high risk. Basically, when I was diagnosed with endometriosis, my doctor looked at me and said, there's no cure. You have to figure out what you're going to do with the rest of your life living with this disease. And your fertility has basically been cut in half. So you need to figure out what you're going to do. You were told this at 24? Yeah. Wow. How did you receive that information at 24? When she first said it, I I laughed. But that's just a defense mechanism for myself. (laughs) I thought to myself, like, damn, is that all I got? (laughs) I mean, I'm glad I'm glad I have a name now instead of just being told, okay, you have a bad period as you get older or when you get pregnant, it'll get easier. But it was kind of like, okay, you just told me my fertility is cut in half. So what what does that mean? Like now, do am I supposed to try to have a baby now? Is that what you're trying to tell me? Or am I just supposed to just forget that altogether? And it was them saying it was the former, like, you need to go ahead and try to have a baby while you can. And It's like, well, damn, you just told me I got a whole disease I can't cure. I got a period every month that I still have to have. And I don't, now I have to figure out how to work with this disease that is really affecting my period, which I always, which has always been my problem. I got to figure out how I'm supposed to keep my job, but I need to take off work every month during my period. I got to figure out now how to have a baby since my fertility has been cut in half. And now you rushing me to have a kid. And then I still have to figure out treatments which are normally birth control to manage the endometriosis. So it's like, which, which way are we working? You want me to get pregnant or you want me to get on birth control to try and manage the endometriosis? I don't know which one you want me to do here. And then outside of that, if you're not doing birth control, they're going to throw you to chemo, which I did try. And that was rough. So it was, it was like, okay, well, I don't know. So my, my, my really close friend just uh, finished chemo. Uh, because of breast cancer, endometriosis can like one of the, the the ways in which they would treat it is also chemo, which is that's aggressive on the body. Yeah, it's Lupron and Lupron Depot, and it is a chemotherapy treatment that they give to men with prostate cancer. Wow, its original intention is for men with prostate cancer, and wow. it is rough. Wow. It's be, it's because. If you don't, at least I didn't. I didn't do this. I guess because I didn't. I didn't want all these, all this medicine and all these chemicals in my body. But when you get on the Lupron Depot, they want you to do hormone replacement therapy. Hormone therapy, yeah. To balance it out, because since it's for men, it's helping. You know, testosterone. You know, they want to help balance your hormones. So I didn't do hormone replacement therapy, which sent me into menopause. And I didn't have a sex drive. I was having hot flashes like every 20 minutes. I was having night sweats, having to change my clothes in the middle of the night or take a shower every night in the middle of the night. I didn't have any energy. I could barely, I had to get up and, you know, go to work and stuff. But it was so exhausting just trying to get out of the bed and take a shower. Like taking a shower took a lot of work. I was so tired. My hair started to thin. It was wow. it was horrible. So I was going through menopause for like 25. And I'm in a relationship at this time. So I'm trying to figure all this out. But not having a sex drive. Wow. And, I, and, wow. I'm, and I'm at the point of I could care less if I ever have sex again for the rest of my life. I don't need it. 
I'm okay. It's it's really not even that big of a deal anymore. Wow. That's how, wow. That's how bad it had gotten. And I'm 25 and my boyfriend is looking at me like, what are we doing here? Wow. This is, it's so much. How do you have that conversation with not only your partner, but as you get older, what is your response to people asking about when you're going to have a baby or when you're going to be a mother? Like, how do you even, how did you respond to those questions and inquiries from people? Well, in the relationship, when I was diagnosed, we had just started our relationship. So I gave him an out. He didn't take it, Um, which, you know, was his decision. And it was okay for a while until we were together for at least like a year and a half. And then we started to get those questions like, okay, are y'all going to get married? Are y'all going to have a baby? And he would say, when, when I first gave him the out, he said, you know, the baby thing, we can, it's fine. Like there are different ways to, you know, have babies. Like it's not, it's not that big of a deal. But as time progressed and I asked again, he said, well, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. I'm not crossing no bridges when we get to it because I already know what's what's gonna happen. So I don't want to try to have a baby and then we have trouble and then we can't. Right. And then right. you go off and you have a baby with somebody else. We mm-hmm. used to just go ahead and leave and do that now. Like mm-hmm. go ahead and save me the heartache and the time and the trouble. And so when people would start to ask, I would just say I don't want to have kids. Like for a while, I was saying I didn't want to have kids. In high school, I kept saying I didn't want to have kids. But that was because intuitively I knew I was going to have trouble getting pregnant. I knew my period. I knew it was something with my period that was going to have like a big effect on my life. I just didn't really know what. But I knew I was going to have trouble with getting pregnant or I was not going to be able to get pregnant at all. So it was I kind of had already knew and I would just say I don't want to have kids. But when I found out that I couldn't get pregnant like for real, I felt like it was my fault. I feel like I had spoken into existence. Oh, no. That's... No. Right. Ugh. So, with this experience, with going to the doctor, with these conversations with your family and your partners, how did you decide to become the endo educator? And what does that do? What What do you do? And, and how do you educate women, women across, you know, your, your local and, I guess, worldwide as well? Um, I was... That chemo had put me in a whirlwind, and I was depressed. I was depressed for a long time, and mm. I remember thinking to myself, like looking in the mirror, I don't recognize myself anymore. I don't like who is this person that I'm looking at. I'm not ambitious as I was anymore. I had nothing. I felt like I was just like, okay, well, I guess I have endo, and then that's just gonna be it. And one day it just kind of clicked. And I was like, bitch, if you don't get, if you don't get your life, <laughs> like I had to have a come to Jesus meeting with myself. And I, I had to talk to myself in the mirror, like, girl, are you really going to let something like this, like, just take you out and just act like that's it? And I thought to myself, okay, after all the research that I had done, I couldn't find black women. The only black woman I knew who had endometriosis was Tia Mari. I didn't know anybody else. Oh, wow. I was trying to find support groups. I was trying to find, because there at this time, there wasn't a lot of research or information about endo. It was just kind of the basic stuff because doctors didn't even know, like, this was known as, like, the, the mysterious disease, like, the invisible disease. Nobody knew much about it. So, the research at that time, 
I couldn't find any. So I said to myself, well, damn, Sam. So you can't find a lot of black people with endometriosis. You mostly find that older white women in like their 40s and 50s who are just now discovering that they have it. Maybe you were meant to talk about it so you can educate people on endometriosis or, you know, something. And from there, after I gave myself that come to Jesus meeting, I told myself I'm not going to be depressed no more. Like, I'm about to shake it off. And I just started advocating. And it was like, it started off very small. Um, okay. I would go to the marches that they have every year for endometriosis month. And I just kind of started posting on Instagram and on Facebook um, about endometriosis and about my story and how I was trying to pressure through and move through and, you know, figure out my life without letting it defeat me. And I came across the Endometriosis Foundation of America and they were okay. looking for um, people to volunteer to teach, um, you know, in the high schools or, you know, middle schools or anywhere about endometriosis. And I was like, okay. I remember being in school. I wasn't taught about my period. I which was crazy because ironically in high school, I worked for Planned Parenthood teaching wow. kids and at the Y about, you know, STDs and sex education and stuff like that, but never did we cover periods. And so I thought to myself, well, there's got to be a, a teenage girl sitting in class who has a period like mine and is really trying to pay attention and focus on what she's learning, but she really can't because her period is so bad and she you know, can't talk to anybody about it because we don't talk about our periods. Right. We'll talk about it with our friends, but not for real. We don't really go in depth about our periods. It's just, okay, I'm cramping today. Today, I'm on day number four or something like that. Even the conversation regarding clots, that's something even completely new amongst even some of my friends. Like the discussion of a clot and, oh, that's what the little black thing is. Like those weren't conversations that were had earlier on. So you're right. Very, very surface conversations very surface level so I just figured okay well I can go into the schools and I can educate on endometriosis and period health care and then that'll at least have the students know the word like if they know the word you know these kids are tech savvy they can google right YouTube whatever so at least if they know the word and they know some of the symptoms and what it means then if they're experiencing it or if they know someone who is they could kind of guide them in the right direction so that's when I started. It was in, I think, like 2017, maybe. I started going into the schools awesome. um, around here. So I started at my alma mater. I went to Mays High School. So that's that was the first um, high school that I went to to teach about endometriosis and about period health care. And I'm very open. I'm very honest, you know, about my journey. I tell, you know, when it comes to talking to them about endometriosis, they all want to know about sex and how does that work, you know, living with something like this and being in a relationship. So we're very, I'm very open with them about what I've experienced. I tell right. them about my diet. I tell them about, you know, things I can and can't do, how I know when I'm having a flare up, how I advocate for myself when I go to the doctors and with my parents, you know, how they could do the same because I know it's tough, you know, trying to get your parents to 
realize it's more than just having a bad period or, you know, like this is just something that you go through because you're growing into a woman and you got to deal with it. It's more than that. And, you know, when you go to the doctors, when you finally started, you know, starting to go as a teenager, what it is that you need to ask, how do you know if they're really going to listen to you and what you're going through? If you need to tell your mom, okay, I don't like this doctor. You need to find me somebody else because they're not listening to me. Like stuff like that, that we didn't know. And, you know, even as adults, we really didn't know how to advocate for ourselves when we're right. going through stuff like this. So just making them more aware of their bodies and, and how their bodies are telling them, you know, what they need and what they don't need. And especially not eating hot Cheetos early in the morning. Cause I always <laughs> Well, I do that. I was about to ask you your diet. But, yeah, now we're not even going to have that conversation if you, like, don't eat hot Cheetos for breakfast. Okay. I think we know that. <laughs> Sam, before we get out of here, one of the things I like to do with all of my guests is make sure they leave our audience with some sort of tip or a bit of advice. And I want you to specifically speak to anyone listening um, that has been diagnosed with endometriosis. And one of the things that – I remember you talking about is kind of the dep- the the depressed state that it puts you into. And so for anyone listening who also may feel like all hope is lost, what bit of advice would you give to them? My advice is, and I'm very much a healer, very much into energy, very much into loving my womb and getting to know her. The biggest piece of advice I can give you is your womb wants to work for you. She does not want you to do all the work, but you Mm. need to listen to her and you need to get to know her and you need to trust her to allow her to guide you. And the biggest way that I was able to heal my endometriosis, because I am no longer in the place of where I was like two years ago, three years ago, four years ago, is I've gotten to know my womb. I've gotten, I've listened to her. I've really sat down and done like a lot of womb work with meditations, with Yoni steaming, with listening listening and healing my traumas i've i've healed a lot of things that was hindering me when it came to living with endometriosis like feeling guilty about not being able to get pregnant feeling guilty about not being able to find a partner who can be able to deal with having somebody with endometriosis and dealing with somebody who can you know i'm independent but i still need you and i need to know if i'm if i'm falling ill you're you're going to be able to be here to take care of me and not just leave you know right learning how to pass traumas that I've been through when it comes to not even anything that has to do with my period or endometriosis, just familiar traumas, relationship traumas, traumas with myself, things that I've grown up with. Heal those because all of that that you you haven't healed, that you think you have, has been manifesting in your womb. And that is creating the womb issues that you're having. Mm. So if you can heal your traumas, if you can really sit down and go through the emotions, even though you don't want to, nobody wants to go through the emotions, especially of stuff that you thought that you have already dealt with. If you can get through that, if you can heal that, and if you can start understanding your womb and how she is really the key to who you are, because that's your intuition. If you can remove all of that in your life, you will start to feel much more aligned with who you are and your body will start to heal itself. It's not your fault. It feels like it's your fault, but it's really not your fault. It's just learning how to work with what God has dealt you in order to be better than what you are experiencing. Because endometriosis does not have to keep you down. I know it does in, in certain days and certain times, 
But overall, in the grand scheme of things, it really does not have to keep you down. You really can live the life that you want to if you can learn to trust who you are. And mm-hmm. that's the that's the biggest part in, with dealing with endometriosis, learning to trust who you are so that you can really heal from something that they say you can't heal from. They say it's not curable, but anything is curable. Anything is possible. So don't let them tell you that you can't heal anything. And that was a word. <laughs> no, Samantha, thank you so much for that. Y'all know I'm going to uh, stay tuned for some stats and facts. I'm definitely going to add some more stats regarding endometriosis. But Samantha, where can our listeners find you and learn more about your story and potentially reach out to you? Go ahead and drop drop it, girl. So my Instagram is, you can either type in the Indo Educator, it'll pop up, or my um, handle name is underscore Samantha Danae underscore. And on my Instagram has my link tree. It has my website, which is samanthadenae.com. I sell herbal capsules. My InTouch Womb Detox Capsules is a daily womb cleanse for your uterus. It's a blend that I put together, which has healed my 90-day periods. I had 90-day periods for nine months out of the year for four years. And I was able to heal my endometriosis and my period symptoms with this blend so I do wound consults if you want to get a full scope of what you're going through and how we can come up with a plan so we could get your healing and get you aligned with yourself on track just send me a message I always respond to DMs like I'm not one of those people that will see it and ignore you I respond to DMs (laughs) and you know we could talk trust me I've been there so I understand like what it is you're going through and I, I my my goal and my mission in life is to be a wound healer so God put me here to be to have endometriosis to heal it so that I can help heal y'all. I I, I love that. And guys, all of that information will as well be in the description of this episode. Samantha, thank you so much for joining us on Period Sus today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And guys, of course, stay tuned. You are living in your body every single day. And if you know that something is off or something is wrong or something is different, don't give up. I kept on going to this one particular doctor for years and I wasn't getting any help. And so I just didn't depend on that one doctor. I went ahead and went to another doctor until I got to the root of the problem. What a fun episode, and I really hope that you guys enjoyed this week's episode as well, as much as I did. Of course, I wanted to leave you guys with some more stats and facts on endometriosis, because one of the most common things that I hear in terms of women being on their menstrual cycle or their time of the month is that they have cramps or pelvic pains. And I wanted to actually say um, and notify you ladies that pelvic pain is actually the most common symptom of endometriosis. But you may also have the following symptoms, painful periods, pain in the lower abdomen before and during menstruation, cramps one or two weeks around menstruation, which again, guys, cramping for long extended periods of time during and around your cycle could be something a little bit more serious. Also heavy menstrual bleeding or bleeding between periods, of course, infertility, pain following sexual intercourse, discomfort with bowel movements, and lower back pain um, that may occur at any time during your menstrual cycle. Now, these are a lot of things that, unfortunately, it appears that we've begun to normalize 
around our menstrual cycles and endometriosis can certainly affect other aspects of your life. So ladies, if you are having any of these symptoms, um, I would definitely suggest to go and check with your gyno, your primary care physician, and just ask more questions. See if more tests can be ran and really, really, really look after yourself. We've heard it time and time again that nobody will look out for you the way that you look out for you. I also want to go ahead and announce that, guys, the one box anniversary of Official Box Owner is coming your way. So, guys, starting um, the top of the month of October, we are releasing the sale for the one year anniversary box. We of course are gonna throw in some OBO goodies in there, but guys, we have made it to one year. One year and change of this podcast, but officially one year in official box owner and I couldn't be any more elated. So I wanna thank all of you who have joined me on this journey as well as all of the women week in and week out here on this podcast and their journey entails through womanhood. I really wanna thank you all. If you haven't gotten your hands on a box, this may be one of the ones to go ahead and snatch up. Go on over to officialboxowner.com. Don't forget to join our mailing list, but also go ahead and check out all of our other products. We have apple cider vinegar gummies. That is the yummy box. We have our balance box, boric acid suppositories. We have our feminine care pouches, which are cool to throw either in your purse or your travel if you're going somewhere for a, a short stay. Uh, definitely go ahead and grab those up. We also have our sexual enhancement sheet orgasm pills. Again, make sure you also go ahead and grab that up. I want to thank you guys so, so, so very much for tuning in to yet another episode of Period Sis. If you haven't yet, rate, subscribe, review, let us know your thoughts. Let us know what other topics you would like to hear from us. Go ahead and DM me. And if you are listening and really want to open up about your own journey, go ahead and email us at info at officialboxowner.com. Thank you guys. And until next time.